Welcome to Cloudy with a Chance of Trust, a podcast for digital transformation leaders where we discuss the latest cyber attack issues, enterprise security strategies, and current security events so that you can successfully accelerate network and security transformation. And now here's what's on our mind this week. Welcome back everyone to another episode of Cloudy with a Chance of Trust, a podcast for technology leaders with listeners in over 50 countries. I'm your host, Pam Kubiatowski, and today I'm so excited to welcome a friend and peer here at Zscaler, one of our chief technology evangelists, Brian Deach to the show. Hey, Brian, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. As uh, as Michael Scott once said, Pam, 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 I'm so happy to be working with you right now. This is going to be cool. This is, so as you can already start to get a taste for Brian, he ultimately is a self-proclaimed cyber hero and truly the person you want in front of anyone who's having trouble listening or listening, understanding, quite frankly, what zero trust is or the architecture that actually underpins it. He is um, a master teacher. He is also the co-host of PEPCAC, PEPCAC. It's a mouthful, PEPCAC podcast. Okay, so what does that stand for? The problem exists between the chair and the keyboard. So it's user (laughs) error at the end of the day. So for people my age, it's really the ID10T error. And my age too. What's funny about that is uh, one of my co-hosts, Glenn, he actually wanted to name it that. And Chris Louie, who was other podcast host, was like, nah, no one's going to know what that means. But so apparently we missed the mark. We should have taken that one when we had the chance. You should have. And you know what's really funny about it? I didn't know what it stood for. I was early in my career and one of my coworkers, uh, is Pam, seriously, I'm like, yeah, they're like, write it out. And I wrote it out. I'm like, oh, oh my. Okay. Well, we'll let all of you out there write out the ID10T and what it stands for. But ultimately, Brian does these, these actually beautiful technical whiteboard sessions, uh, really, that I've ever seen. We're going to actually drop an example into the episode page because I think everyone needs to see this. Um but before we jump into how you do these these sessions and so forth, Brian, and what you're seeing um, throughout doing your sessions, can you just talk a little bit about, you know, you've had a long history in tech. Um, and, and so what have you done in your career and how did it lead you up to where you are today here at Zscaler? Yeah, so it all started back probably in high school. I was, uh, how would I say this? I was hacking grades for profit. So uh I did some social engineering and, and and back in the day, you have to understand that if you were able to log into the grading system as anyone, you might as well have been the administrator. So I was uh, taking advantage of that. And eventually one day I got caught and, and the, uh, the high school guidance counselor told my parents that I had showed great potential, but I applied myself inappropriately. So that was kind of the start that I was like, you know what, I think I have a knack for this whole uh, computer thing. And, you know, eventually made my way up, got a real job doing some stuff at U.S. Airways, uh, Apollo Group. And then I went over to the pre-sale side at uh, F5 Networks. And when I was there, there was a gentleman by the name of Guy Kawasaki and not Rich Dad, Poor Dad, a different dude. And he came in at an SKO event. And not only did it really change my life, but it actually changed everything at F5 at that point in time. Like His presentation style was just so wildly different, and I admired it. And one of the things that he had uh, that he was known for previously was he was the chief technology evangelist for Apple computers. So I was like, wow, I like I want I want to do his job. So from that moment on, in 2008, I kind of modeled my life and tried to figure out, like, how can I be like this dude 
because I just think that uh, it was it was just such a paradigm shift from what I have seen walking in the meetings with other people when everybody's robots and it's this you know business as usual. And what I found that was that you were just kind of allowed to be who you are in the matter, right? Like hmm. achieve some type of likability and you can overcome so much more. So that's that's kind of where it started. And now I'm over here at at, at Zscaler. Started off as an SE and was an architect. Now I'm the uh, the chief technology evangelist. And I, what can I say? I love my job. Uh, I get to meet with prospective clients, existing customers, the media, partners, resellers, like you name it. And it's all about how do you sell this uh, 800 pound gorilla of the cloud without it being too intimidating. And that's where I am today. That's awesome. And before we jump into the next question, I know the listeners and I want to know, so how did you change your grades? Like, did you have all straight A's or did you try to modify it? Hey, I got a C plus here and a B minus there. Tell us. I, I was in, I just love computers so much. And uh, one of the science teachers, he was one of the first early adopters to, to do it because he had all the Macintosh computers there. And uh, I was sitting there watching him and I was shoulder surfing. And I was watching him type in his password and I was like, boom, I got it. And so then I was playing with the computer. And then one day I found the grade book. And then I found out eventually that I had access to like the entire grade book for the entire school, as well as like, you know, putting people on free lunch uh, and whatnot. Uh, I had a good time with it. But uh, one day I did get caught and it was because and they brought me into the principal's office and they said, Brian, we know that you've been changing grades. You're the only one that kind of shows like this aptitude. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, just deny it. They're like, listen, like we we did this thing called double entry. So you we, we saw that when the changes were made, it wasn't done twice. And so it was you and like five other people. And these five other people had terrible grades. So I'm like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. But thanks for telling me how you caught me. <laughs> uh, long story, story short, he changed his password. His name was Mr. Ziegler. And I was out and like, and he like, every time he would type in on the computer, he'd like be like hiding it over. And I was like, oh, I can't see it. So the yearbook comes out and uh, his original password, I think was like Orion. And in the, the yearbook, he was quoted in saying that he had four cats and the four cats names were all these galaxy names, one of them being Orion. And I thought, oh, no way. And so I went over to the computer, immediately typed in every cat name that he listed. Then boom, I was back in. And back oh, in business. no. Yeah. Well, you just threw him no. under the bus, but I would think at this point he probably is retired. Oh, he's retired. He's a great guy. And you know what? He was, he, you know, he, he helped mold my career a little bit and started thinking like, a, you know, the, the derelicts that are out there. There you go. So you talk a little bit about your um, podcast and, and tell us about your show and what you guys talk about and what do you touch on? So yeah, the, you know, the Pepcag podcast, we have shoot. I think 120 episodes that are out. Uh, we try to release them. Not, we don't, we, I don't say that we try. We release them weekly, come out every Monday morning. Uh, there's always some type of LinkedIn post about it. And we always cover just like security events, things that are going like that. So it's really kind of a security network focused podcast. And, you know, Chris is kind of the ringleader because he he kind of sources a lot of the, the stories that we cover each week or we submit them. Uh, and he kind of like, kind of, he's, he's like you, right? He's, he's running the podcast. Then we have Glenn, who's a little bit more of the contrarian to, to the stories. And then I come in over the top and just take us down a rabbit hole. Maybe it's about technology or maybe it's just about some weird name that I see on the screen. And I, and I just start to, uh, you know, cross the, the, uh, the T's and dot the I's and just going down some sort of weird rabbit hole. But at the end of the day, we have fun. We try to keep it under an hour. 
Uh, we, we've noticed that the uh, the shows that are over an hour don't really have as much popularity. I think we're up to 5,500 weekly listeners. Wow. And, and yeah, it's kind of flatlined. It hasn't kind of grown past that, uh, unfortunately. But, you know, it is what it is. Long story short, it's just a, it's a light podcast that talks about things that are going on. And we do try to dovetail back into security tools and not always is it a tool that Zscare can fix the problem, right? So I don't want to feel like we're pushing product and, uh, you know, Glenn Medina is no longer with Zscare. So he works for a different company. And so, you know, we're able to have just a good old time. And at the end of the day, I'm just, I'm hanging out with my, my two best friends once a week for, for an hour as we record. How nice. That's kind of one of those <clears throat> podcasts you like to listen to if you're actually still driving into an office, right? Yeah. Or it yeah. sounds very dynamic. It is definitely, yeah, definitely dynamic. And really, it's the only time I can really let my hair down. I have no <laughs> hair, though. So <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, if, if any of you know Brian, you know, he is um, sporting the baldness here. Yeah, yeah. It used to be by choice, right? I was like, yeah, I'm going to shave my head. This is like one of these weird stories. So I actually started shaving my head. By the way, this is where I talk. I, I go down these weird rabbit holes, right? We're about to do it right now. So I started shaving my head when I was 18. And it was because... I was so poor that I couldn't afford to get a haircut. Like I just didn't have the money to do it. And uh, I remember one day at college, I was probably about 19 years old and I was walking out of the library and a guy came up to me, seemingly very nice and inviting. He's like, Hey man, he's like, do you like who you are? And I was like, and I'm just dumb, right? I'm like, yeah, I, I do. And he started asking questions and then I'm, I'm taking in, my surroundings. I'm like, wait a second, this guy, he's bald head too. And he's got a white shirt on and fatigues and military boots. I'm like, oh my God, I think he's trying to recruit me into some sort of weird thing. I'm like, dude, I got to go. I am out of here. So it didn't, you know, it backfired there. But yeah, I think if I chose to let my hair grow out today, it's it's definitely not coming back. I'll be sporting that (laughs) cul-de-sac. Okay. I want to bring us back here. Yeah. Bring us back in. (laughs) Yeah. To your role here. (laughs) And, and, you know, you have so many interactions um, on a daily basis with current and prospective customers. Um, could you talk a little bit about the patterns you're seeing right now? And is everyone trying to achieve the same thing? You know, are you, when you look at digital transformations, you know, what's the end goal for these organizations? And do they even see an end goal? Or is it something that they're not able to quite wrap their arms around? I think they see it. I think that the new sexy marketing term has been out for 20 years is the whole zero trust thing. So they're trying to marry zero trust in with digital transformation, which really is network and application transformation at the end of the day. Um, and it's not just a, a one and done. Like you just don't buy a cloud provider or some weird skew and you're, and you're done. It, it is kind of a, it's a journey, right? And uh, there's a lot of reasons for it. But when talking about business, it's always, I think that the things I see the most can be around enhanced operational efficiency, improved uh, user experience, and, and not like customer, but like your own employees being a little bit more flexible and agile and all that good stuff. Obviously, cost savings is huge. They want to be able to still be able to innovate, have agility, flexibility. At the end of the day, they want to allow the business to do more. And when you think security historically, that has always been the thing that kind of pumps the brakes, right? Like, hey, we're moving to, to the cloud. We're going to use Amazon. And all of a sudden, all the security guys are like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? Like, uh, you know, we got to secure this. We got to spin up virtual firewalls and do other than IPS sensors. And they're like, no, nah, man, this is the cloud. It's completely different. Like, why are we doing weird things? So 
looking at that, like when, and especially when you're trying to push security, you have to really be able to highlight some of the capabilities, specifically Zsky, right? Which was going to be like not only are you going to be more flexible and agile, and there's tons of cost savings around right here, um, but we're going to improve your visibility and your security, right? Like, you're, like you don't have to sacrifice one over the other. Like it, just because it's secure doesn't mean you have to be super slow. And if it's fast, doesn't mean it's not secure anymore. So that's that's kind of my my perspective of what I'm seeing today. And we're we're honestly, Brian, are you seeing organizations get stuck? Because you know, when I took this job three years ago. <laughs> I was interviewing with Kavitha Maripon, one of our EVPs, mm -hmm. and I said to her, I said, you know, Kavitha, this sounds like an awesome job. And I love, just like you, I love my job, right? I love talking to others about what, you know, my our, my my past organization's journey was on transformation and what the lessons learned, because Lord knows that, you know, this is a philosophical change where you, that you make when you, when you start to look at zero trust and so forth. And I said, you know, I probably got about two years to tell my story and lessons learned and all that. And I, I hope you'll find something else for me. And here I am three years later, right? And I'm still having the same conversations I had three years ago with so many organizations who haven't, who, who, who are either still defining what their strategy is, what they want to look like when they mm -hmm. do transform, or they're just stuck, or they, or they sit back and they say, ah, we're fine, we're fine, we're secure, we're, we're so secure, you can't believe our security structure, and then all of a sudden, you get the phone call, right, because, oops, something happened, because they didn't realize something. So where do you think organizations get stuck, or where, what are some of the concerns they have from getting started? Yeah, just from getting started is trying to get everyone on board, and digital transformation isn't just the people that report to the CIO or the CISO. It's literally every peer and uh, every vertical, right? If I can boil it down to just network and security, because those, you know, normally the, the two people I talk to, the status quo is that if network likes something, security is like, ooh, yucky, right? <laughs> They're like, we don't yeah. have nothing to do with this. And if security likes this, the network's like, heck no, we don't want any part to do with this. Uh, and so really it's trying to bridge the gap. And so when we start to look at like, what are the, you know, what's stopping them from getting started is getting everyone on the same page. Uh, and then looking at some of the hangups, right. I would say that uh, if you're overly cautious in your approach, so if the, the business driver for this change is because you had some sort of security event, and this is what's kind of making you move and look at things differently everybody is kind of freaked out, right? Everyone is kind of on their heels. They feel like they might be losing their job. And so they're, they're taking this overly, you know, cautious approach and like the, the appetite for change, because a lot of things kind of have to move is often, you know, their eyes are bigger than their stomach. And so they become very, very risk adverse and it's just going to take a while. Right. And uh, one of the things that I, I kind of harp on with our platform is that users one to 100, can be far more difficult than users 101 to 1 million. And that's hard for them to really kind of understand. But once you figure it out, then you start to ha you know, have these uh, better discussions and you start to build a rapport with the customer and they just kind of, they know, right? But going all the way back, <clears throat> you know, when meeting with these people, it's, you got to meet with network. You have to meet with security, data protection, the cloud architects, uh, endpoint uh you know, the, the help desk team, there's a lot of moving parts into this and be able to kind of diffuse those concerns before they can actually become issues moving forward. You know, one of the things that um, 
I don't think we did right when we first did this and deployed um, the technology seven years ago was I didn't understand the impact <clears throat> to the wider IT ecosystem, right? And why mm-hmm. others had to understand this change we were going to make. They were so used to having a traditional VPN, right? Users connecting to a network versus looking at it from a zero trust perspective and connecting only to that which we're going to allow someone to connect to. Um, there was a shift into your point. There was a shift in the mindset. I also mm-hmm. think you're right. I, I see so much. I see the organizations that struggle where cyber and networking are not aligned in the future direction because what does it mean to them? Let's face it. The networking team for for so many years was the organization responsible for securing data, users, allowing access, Right. And then cybersecurity starts to evolve more and more as time went on. And you see this struggle between the two groups versus, hey, let's approach this in a holistic view. This is my my role, my responsibility. This is your role, your responsibility. Let's do this together and be successful. And the ones that do it together seem so successful and are actually, I see them, and I'd like to get your take on this, I see them move quick, irrelevant if there was an event or not. Yeah. So on the flip side, right, you, you you call that out. Like, what about the organizations that move a heck of a lot quicker that aren't so overly cautious with their approach? And I really think it starts at like the CXO leadership, right? Especially if these people have done it before, right? It kind of helps corral the troops and say, like, here's our North Star. This is where, you know, this is where you're going. And sometimes, the, you know, the teams that are going to be running these changes or people that are looking to buy in on this platform, I always kind of tell them like, hey, Forget what you know, right? Embrace the cloud. Don't bring in that legacy mindset to the table because this is going to stop you left, right, and center. Pretend you have never heard about VPN before and you have somebody at Starbucks that needs to connect to your network. How are we going to make this work? Not really the network, to an application, right? And on that note, like there, we have this one customer and I probably have lots of use cases, but this one kind of sticks out in the top of my mind. Uh, I'm weirdo. I'll never talk about customer names ever. But uh, they had 60,000 employees. They were 100% deployed um, with two specific technologies from Zscaler. So the, you know, protecting the internet and then brokering access to uh, the internal applications. They did this in 21 days. And that's just phenomenal, right? Like, you know, there was some compelling things going on that they needed to get done. But the, to move that quickly in 21 days just kind of blew my mind. And, and that's where I kind of got that idea of like, well, shoot, if it works for users 1 to 1 to 100, then 101 to 60,000 is going to be that as well. So their appetite for change was kind of minimized during a proof of value, right? Like we showed this is what we can do. Look how easy it is. Normally, you don't tell people how easy things are, but kind of lead the horse to water. And they looked at it and like, oh, my gosh, this is wild. Every every pilot group we test is just working. Let's hit the ground running. And they started making massive moves. Uh, over those 21 days and getting people to uh, adopt zero trust. But 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 I guess I want to make sure we clarify. Yeah. When you talk about 21 days and easy, I, I think there's two things. One, connecting users to internet destined applications. That's one thing, right? Yeah. That's one thing. But private access and in, in, in the the alternative for a VPN, that depending because we because I know there's some listeners out there, multinationals, ton of legacy debts, ton of home and homegrown applications. 
when you talk about deploying in 21 days, you're talking basically you're going to deploy in a discovery mode. You're 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 seeing where users are going. You're understanding your application portfolio. You're not you're not in a zero trust per se lockdown. So the so their approach to this was uh, they they had a hypercare on post cutover deployment, and the way that they looked at this is hey as we move these massive groups of users. We're going to take the applications that we know. We're going to assign policy to it. Mm-hmm. Now, as we move on, these massive groups of users, and there's buckets of you know five thousand and ten thousand. They did start off the policy with this is what we know. Then we have a rule at the very bottom that says there's something we don't know, and it's this group of users they can get to anything. Right now, during that time, even though they can get to quote unquote anything, we're we're seeing these newly discovered applications. Mm-hmm. And as much as I would like to pretend like oh, we knew about all the applications we did it, right? They're, they're coming in uh, tens to the hundreds. We were able to take those policies and assign it, be like, hey, this, this is for this particular group and then lock it down. So every single day, there was this was going on. Eventually, the point that after 21 days, that default allow rule became a default deny. Wow. Now, the hypercare support from, you know, we'll call it days 21 to six months, was always looking at that and finding out the newly discovered applications. Because even though I block it, I still define it as an application that's coming in. And once I do that, then I can go through and be like, all right, listen, I'm, I'm finding these uh, other applications. And you know, there's there's applications in the environment that only get hit once or twice a year, right? right? And having that rule in there to be able to do it and to troubleshoot it very quickly. Like they operationally, they knew that if someone came in and said, I can't get to this application, they could remediate that problem in like five minutes. Like it didn't have to be rocket science. They didn't even have to get the user on the phone. They could just find it in the logs very, very easily. And since then, things have changed, right? So we could take this exact deployment where we went through and and, and, and put in this zero trust. And let's say that there was an application. We'll, we'll call it RDP. Now we have like recommended application segments, which is, hey, listen, you're like, th- these are some of the recommendations by Zscar. Currently today, based off a of group membership, I can tell you that this one RDP server can be accessed by 15,000 people, right? Mm-hmm. Before you don't know if that's right or wrong, right? It seems like a lot, but you really want to turn that off all willy nilly. Now with the recommended app segments come through and say, we can take that from 15,000 down to 175 people right? It can be that very narrow. So zero trust is, again, it kind of goes back down to there was the 21 days, the six months, and then right. continuing that journey of zero trust, making it better as, as far as you are going down that road. So so when Pete went in, and I've seen your your whiteboard session, your, your art of the possible sessions, mm-hmm. which I just, I sit back in awe um, for those of you. And, and again, like I mentioned, we're going to put a snippet of it in, in, with the episode, it's an actual piece of glass that Brian stands behind and and draws on. And when you when you think about doing the art of the possible, can you explain a little bit what what is it really in your mind that you're presenting when you when you do your art of the possible sessions? Yeah, the last thing I want to do when doing one of these sessions, the art of the possible, is make them feel like I'm trying to boil the ocean, right? And so anytime I meet with the customer, I always have a prep call with the account team. And I try to figure out as much as I can about that customer, specifically what business drivers that they're trying to get done in this meeting. And then I want to map that to our technology, right? Then it becomes the art of the possible of your business problems, 
our technology, where the where those lines intersect and how we do that. Sometimes it could be increased visibility, data residency, enable work from anywhere. Like the list kind of goes on and on, but that's really the kind of the focus is to make sure that, yeah, it seems like a lot, but at the end of the day, I'm just, I, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm very, I'm hyper-focused on their their business drivers for the change and then map that to exactly what we can do on our platform. That way they feel like, you know, it's not like I'm just buying another layer seven security device. I have the, you know, the ability to actually make an impact with this tool. Well, and I think that's so important because IT has become <clears throat> one of those organizations that really have to help organize their businesses drive revenue, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and IT was never thought of that in the past. But to your point earlier about enabling and making the business agile and being able to be flexible with technology allows the business so many more opportunities. There were so many years I kept saying to the business, no, sorry, can't do that. No, sorry, can't do that. But then when you find a technology that gives you that agility and flexibility, it's so amazing how you truly can enable the business and how much, uh, how you're a CFO, how a CEO can relate to how a technology can enable the business and how important it is to actually get them behind the change of an organization, right? Because this is a big change. It is a huge change. And, and on top of that, right? Like it's it's not like just a, a line item that they're looking at at the end of the year. Like this is uh, right. this is crucial. It becomes a, a part of the network. And another one of the things that we do is like post-sale uh, type of interactions with the CXOs, which is, hey, listen, like you're, you're valuable to us, right? Like you're, you, you bought in our platform, you're doing all these things. We want to make sure you understand what's going on. And so I'll I actually have these meetings with, you know, VPs and whatnot. Like, hey, listen, um, this is exactly what you're doing with Zscaler. This is how it integrates with the business and other partners and your ecosystem. And this is the business value. Then on the flip side, every once in a while, you have executives and people that move, right? And so then you have someone new coming in. They're like, what the heck is this cloud thing? Again, have that meeting with them. That way they get it, you know, really comfortable with understanding exactly what we're doing and the value that it brings to the table. And I think that's key. What yeah. value does the technology bring to their organization? So with that, I want to thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. I truly have enjoyed it. Um, Brian, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. I don't want this to end. <laughs> And for our listeners, I don't know, Brian, we may have to have you back on. This has been a lot of fun. And for our listeners, please do listen to Brian's podcast also. And with that, I want to thank you all and stay tuned for another episode of Cloudy with a Chance of Trust. Take care. Thank you, everyone. Love you. Thanks for listening to Cloudy with a Chance of Trust. Check back with your podcast provider regularly for more episodes. You can find Lisa Lorenzen and Pam Kubiatowski on the CXO Revolutionaries website at revolutionaries.zscaler.com or on LinkedIn. Statements by Zscaler podcasters and guests are informational only and should never be construed as legal advice. You should consult with your legal advisor on matters related to you or your business. Zscaler makes no warranties, express, implied, or statutory as to the content of this podcast, and it is provided as is. Content on this podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are current as of the date of recording and subject to change. These statements are subject to the safe harbor provisions created by the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Full legal disclaimers are available at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Copyright 2022.